Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. My name is Steve. I am a compulsive overeater. I entered program on March 1st, uh, 2000. I've got to think. It's 18 years this year. So that's 2004. March 1st, 2004. So why did I come to Overeaters Anonymous? I was 52 years old at the time. I'm now 70. Um, I had discovered uh, that my Eskimo was my son-in-law, who had, uh, when I met him, he was quite heavy. And uh, I thought to myself at my heavy time, gee, there's room for me to grow. Uh, My sick, uh, compulsive overeating mind, it occurred to me that he was, uh, uh, well, probably about 80 pounds heavier than I was. I was 265 at my highest. And so I thought, great, I can keep eating. And then he went ahead and joined Overeaters Anonymous, and he had lost weight. And it occurred to me that uh, I had a big problem with my eating, and I needed to join the program as well. Uh, That got me to uh, Monday Night Miracles, and that was my first meeting. It took me about a month and a half pick my sponsor. I still have the same sponsor after 18 years. Uh, Interestingly enough, I didn't necessarily pick my sponsor based on how thin or fat or what he looked like. My biggest issue was my rage and my anger. Uh, I did not like that part of my personality. And he was a very gentle, very sweet, very nice man. And I thought, this is the guy for me, someone who's not going to crack a whip or get me going or trigger me. And, you know, in 18 years, maybe uh, I need a trigger or a whip. But unfortunately for me, life became my trigger and my whip. I went on from there, what we call the wreckage of our past. Like I told you, I weighed 265. I was 52 years old, and I was to go through a series of events. And uh, those events would only have uh, been survived if I were in OA. Uh, Without OA, I think I would have had a definite problem. And what I did at first with my food was I defined it as three meals a day and two snacks. And I gave up uh, cookies and candy, and, uh, and that was, uh, what else? Did, that, that, that was the main thing I did. And in the beginning, I would say a snack was the size of a meal. I would, you know, take two pieces of bread, fry them in a pan, put butter in the pan, put cheese in between, regular cheese in between. Uh, the, the bread and that would be a snack, which today is a meal. 
And uh, it, nonetheless, the beginning was giving up the foods that I gave up, the recreational sugar, the cookies, that was important. My next step about a year or two later in talking with one of my fellows was to give up pretzels, potato chips, and tortilla chips from the basket. And uh, that proved to be very wise. Today, that to move along quickly, because I do want to do, uh, you know, the other side of my recovery, the emotional and the spiritual. So the rest of the food, I changed that to this point. Now, when I have that uh, grilled cheese sandwich, if I had it as a snack, it would be bread toasted in a toaster and no butter, no pan, and it would be uh, low calorie or one piece of cheese, and it would be uh, uh, cooked in the microwave. So I've reduced a five or 600 calorie snack to 200 calories uh, or 300 calories. So, and I don't often have it. I'm more likely to have uh, fruit more than anything else after dinner. Uh, my breakfasts uh, tend to be uh, a minimal amount of food, uh, but I think it's very important to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I know we don't like to talk about specific foods, so I'm done with that. Um, what I tend to do is I tend to only have those three meals. I don't have uh, a snack in between any other time, and it's important that I try to eat three times a day. I, when I was in my compulsive overeating, I would often skip breakfast because the way I ate before OA was I would have, oh, I don't know, I'd start eating around, uh, you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, maybe 12. I'd have lunch and then I'd really go to town until dinner. And then I'd have dinner and it would always be some kind of reasonable dinner with maybe a bite or two of some. Uh, uh, the the foods I really can't eat anymore and uh, that would set me off for my evening and then in the evening you know I would often go taco to my wife and go get six tacos and end up eating them all at the end I, it would not be impossible for me to have two triple chili cheeseburgers chili fries and a shake over at uh, Tommy's or somewhere and uh, I don't even eat after dinner anymore my weight got to 265. Uh, I told you how I eat now, and my weight is 204. Um, so I have maintained a significant amount of weight loss. I did find the secret to more weight loss. I used to be down about 40 pounds. Now I'm down about 60 pounds. And the main thing was in the last year or two, I found pain. Uh, I had an ankle fusion on December 7th, and... Uh, that is helping, but I'm recovering, and the recovery is torture, but it's not painful. Um, the pain that I experienced definitely killed my appetite, and, you know, that's the one good thing about it. Um, so I'm happy to be where I am at the moment with my weight. Spiritually, let me go through my progress. Uh, I find that, you know, my background was I had gone to a yeshiva. When I was younger, um, when I came to OA and people talked about God and higher power, what I found was for me was that uh, I, when people asked me what, what was my higher power, I defined it always as I was a Buddhist Jew who read, who read gospel literature. 
I find higher power in everybody's religion and everybody's God. Uh, I find that the being spiritual and trying to stay connected, meditation, or whatever way I'm doing my prayers helps me. I also find that the most important part of my spiritual recovery comes from sponsoring people that or making outreach calls or taking outreach calls. I know in the beginning, it seems like I, I really went to a lot of meetings to try to get this straight in my head. I probably went to, you know, I probably went sometimes on Saturday to like four meetings in a day. Um, at this point in time, uh, I, prior to surgery, I would say I hit one or two meetings a week, um, which I still think probably I need to increase even 18 years later. Uh, it should be more like three times a week. Uh, but in the beginning, like I said, it would probably be, I don't know, probably two to three times a day. And I think that that was very important for me to give you an example of the spirituality that I find in the rooms, in the meetings. Uh, there are times, for example, uh, where people look at me and they go, well, you talk all the time. You talk all the time. You have a lot to say. And in meetings, you don't say a word. And the reason is because I'm calm. I'm calm, I'm heard, and I'm listening to the stories over and over again that are my story. Uh, I know there was one time in my first couple years where I went to a meeting and I fell asleep. And I had to apologize for that when I was awake. And I, I shared the fact that I had been unable to sleep all night. I had felt very agitated, and it was such a blessing to me that I felt comfortable enough to relax and fall asleep within that meeting. I saw that as almost a God shot that my higher power was saying, now it's time to relax. It's time to be with your fellows. I know the first time I came to, into an OA meeting, I felt like I'd entered my own living room, uh, and I felt like... uh you know, I heard Reverend uh, Tutu say this once, that, you know, with spirituality, you feel like you're sitting on your grandfather's lap and there's a nice roaring fire with winter outside and you just feel so calm and safe and relaxed. And that's how I feel when I'm in an OA meeting. So, um, and my spirituality, I mean, it, it, like with all of my, my program. And all of my character flaws, though we turn the volume down on them, um, I always have to do 10 steps. I notice that I make errors, and when I make errors, I promptly correct them. I misspeak things. Uh, things come out of my mouth ne uh, not necessarily exactly what I want to say, and I try, uh, if I've made somebody upset or if I've upset myself, I try to take care of that as quickly as possible. So that's the majority of my spiritual recover, recovery. Emotionally, uh, my recovery has followed kind of a similar path in that I try to, I think the number one principle that I try to follow is trying to stay out of the inside of my head. I find that if I get in the inside of my head, it's very deadly for me. I tend to uh, once I'm in there, I'll get very insecure. I will get very uh, sure that I am a failure. I'm worthless. 
I can't do anything right. Uh, I'm fated to make mistakes. I will never have friends. I will never have anybody who loves me. Uh, it goes on and on. It's a litany of uh, fears. And, you know, as we say, we say fears of economic insecurity will leave us. But we don't mean fears of economic insecurity. We mean all fears will leave us. If we surrender, if we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, if we truly do that uh, movement, and by the way, that movement for me 18 years later can be daily or minute to minute. It's not always daily. Sometimes I have to remind myself. And then if I can't get out of the inside of my head, I have learned a number of ways to succeed. One is prayer. Two is reading. Three is fellowship. Four is, you know, actively writing down the feelings that I have, uh, talking to my sponsees, talking to my sponsor, all of these things. You know, for 18 years, I have given everything that passes through my lips, passes through my sponsor's ear uh, or eyes. Sometimes I have uh, texted my food, and especially if I'm on vacation somewhere. Not that I've been on vacation in the last few years. Uh, the other part of emotional uh, maturity and recovery uh, comes from the fact that uh, I have uh, had to deal with life on life's terms. And life on life's terms has given me a number of challenges for me to grow emotionally. You know, since I entered OA, uh, I have had my knee replaced. I've had my ankle fused. I've had four different cancers. Uh, I don't think it's important to go into what they are. I'm still in active treatment for one of them, but the treatment is good and I should last a long time. Um, sometimes I find the hardest part about being a cancer survivor is the hugs I get at all the sporting events when you have to stand up. Um, which is kind of a silly joke, but nonetheless, uh, sometimes I think it's important, like we say in OA, that for the newcomer or for someone who's newly ill, it's important that we put ourselves forward. Uh, we humble ourselves to be able to admit our faults and to allow others to talk to us about them because, uh, maybe you're doing well, maybe you're surviving, maybe you're okay but someone else might be brand new to that journey. And so, therefore, it's important to me. Uh, there are times where I don't want to acknowledge things about my faults or about my flaws, but I realize that in so doing, I'm opening the door for others to be able to do the same thing and that it's a cleansing experience for me and a cleansing experience for them. I, I find that sponsees are probably the most important part of our program. And, you know, uh, I remember I was talking to someone and they said that during the pandemic in their program, they had a number of sponsees and they had all gone out. And I asked the person the important question, did you go out? And she said, no, I'm, I'm still doing fine. And I said, then our program works. That's why we sponsor. We sponsor, yes, to help others, but also more importantly, to bring the message to someone new, and in so doing, you revitalize yourself. You revitalize your own commitment and your own feeling emotionally 
it's very, very good for us to be able to talk to others and help someone else. Remember, five minutes? Five minutes. Okay. Remember, I said the most important thing is to stay out of the inside of your head. And it's very important that we accomplish that because my head is a minefield sometimes. And I learned that concept from my grand sponsor. Um, he, he always talks about staying out of the inside of his head, that it gets him, you know, in a lot of trouble. And I think it gets us all in a lot of trouble. For me, my trouble is different than some. I mean, uh, my character flaw that I get into in the inside of my head has a lot to do with defeatism and feeling that I'm not being as good as I could be. I could do this better. I could I could weigh less. I could eat less. I could do this. I could do that. And then I remind myself, I come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. If I'm living in God's world and I'm doing God's will for me, then I am doing what I need to do. How How I weigh or what I weigh or the problems that I have physically, um, I've mentioned some of them. I also had to deal with osteoporosis. I had to deal with hypertension, cholesterol, all these various things, and take all these various medications and treatments. Um, obviously, they said I could ski after I got my knee replaced, but they didn't tell me my balance would change. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was a disaster. I had never injured myself skiing in 36 years. I tried after the knee replacement and broke five bones and tore up my left knee. So I, I certainly had, had tried, and I also said that I would quit if I ever had an injury, and that was beyond an injury. Uh, but the interesting thing was, uh, and this was smart, my wife, who is brilliant, put me in a wheelchair, wheeled me off to work the very next day after having all my casts and little slings and everything. I think uh, my right hand was working, so that was the only limb that was perfect. Uh, so. I used my right hand to write my notes and I went to work and that, you know, work. We can say we want to retire. We can say we're done with working, but sometimes it keeps you out of the inside of your head. And so that's what happened and it helped me recover and it still helps me recover. Um, there are times where I think, well, maybe time to find other things to do at this age. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. This later, latest adventure was a fusion of my ankle where I'm on a knee scooter now for six weeks and I'm hoping to be able to walk with full weight bearing with at least crutches, uh, this week. We'll see if that happens. Uh, being on a knee scooter, I, I, you know, luckily I went ahead and did it for a week or two before surgery. Um, that's one thing I found. If you prepare yourself, you're always better off than if you just wait till after it happens. So I prepared myself, and I've been on it, and I've survived on a knee scooter. And it has been an adventure trying to run around on a knee scooter at 70 and re-strengthen and exercise and strengthen your back, strengthen your arms, and strengthen your other leg. Um, and, you know, I also, at, at a moment, I tried to use crutches. I used crutches when I had my knee replacement like gangbusters. It was no problem. But 12 years later, it ain't so easy. You know, we all live in God's world. We all age. We all have changes. Uh, thank God I have found a way and I've lost the weight that I've lost. 
it's a gift. It's a gift uh, from my higher power and from my program. And without it, I would be in uh, quite serious straits. I cannot even imagine where my weight would be today, 18 years later, considering what I was when I entered OA. I, well, I don't think I would be alive at this point. And, uh, the other thing I will mention before I end in my, uh, in my family, everybody has diabetes. So probably by the time they're 50, 55, they all were diabetics. I'm 70 and I'm still not diabetic. My hemoglobin A1C is at 5.1, the best it's ever been. Um, and my cholesterol numbers with a little help have been okay. Uh, which is amazing to me. Amazing, just absolutely amazing. I am very happy to be here. I'm very happy for the fellowship, for my my friends and the people that I talk to. Is that my time, Pam? Do you have 15 seconds? All right, I am done. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. This is a time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Uh, when asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you and you can then unmute and ask your question. So, um, is there a hand up? Jack, Jackie? Jackie. Hi, thank you so much for your sharing. Um, I really got a lot out of what you had to say, Steve. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more how you were successful in getting out of your head, as you described it, uh, to stay away from the negative thinking. And uh, did you use meditation at all? And what obstacles you faced in doing that? Thank you. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yes, I I do meditation, and uh, that is one of the ways of staying out of the inside of my head, getting in touch with my higher power. Uh, I can do that a number of different ways. Although my favorite way that I learned from uh, a research paper at Harvard. You can actually just breathe in and breathe out. And as you breathe out, say the number one in your mind and just breathe in, breathe out, one, breathe in, breathe out, one, breathe in, breathe out, one. And that will get you uh, out, start to help you. That's a meditation format, the easiest one that I know of. Uh, there are obviously much more complex ways of meditating and they're all good. However, that very easy one is for the beginner, and it's a good way to start. I also find that if you're having problems, if you're not in the mood to read, if you're not in the mood to pray, if you're not in the mood to make outreach calls, if you're not in the mood to be of service, if you're not in the mood uh, to call your sponsor or they didn't answer, you can also pick up a pen and paper and write down your feelings on the piece of paper you can either read that to your sponsor or destroy it or do whatever you want with it or read it to another human being or not. But as long as you're writing your thoughts on that piece of paper, they go out of the inside of your head and they go on the paper. And that often is quite relieving when you're really 
giving yourself a hard time. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Like we have uh, Jason R. Yeah, thank you. Um, I put it in the chat, but I'll just say it. Um, could you, Steve, thank you very much for your share. Uh, could you please talk about where you were spiritually before OA and how that changed uh, once you got into the program? Uh, I think uh, before answering, I, you know, I've, I always like to say, uh, well, I don't know, maybe I was agnostic. Uh, in some ways, but I thought I had a higher power before. Uh, now it's different. Now my, my one saying that I give is in a room of a hundred psychiatrists, if I'm in that room, there's at least one psychiatrist who believes in God. And, you know, in my profession, that's a very, uh, uh, different. I have often gotten a lot of pushback for the fact that I am a believer in God higher power and all religions and find goodness and spirituality. Um, even involved in some analytic thinking, there's a psychoanalytic thought called Tavistock, which is group dynamics. And spirituality has always been plus minus. As you might expect, some people are afraid of how spirituality has created mass chaos, murder, mayhem, terrorism, on and on and on. But there's also a side of it where it's created a lot of good, a lot of progress, a lot of love, a lot of interaction. So what I did from from being somewhat in a quandary about those two sides, I went to understanding that my spirituality is on the side of peace, quiet, and making my life, other people's lives, and spreading the message of love, understanding, and trying to be able to only do good. I guess that's an easy way to define that. Does that answer that? Jason? You're muted. Yeah, yes, thank you very much. Of course. Uh, Bob and then Frank. So, Steve, can you please uh, talk about what maybe it was like in the beginning when food called and what it's like now when food calls? What do you do? Um, in the beginning, it called quite a bit. Like I said, I defined what a snack was, which was ridiculous. Um, you know, that was certainly a calling. <clears throat> and I would, like, if I lost a pound or two, I would reward myself by having a slightly larger meal. Uh, my abstinence might get a little messy. Um, for For now... And what the change is, is, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I might want to go out for sushi. Uh, and my wife will say, but I have these tacos in the refrigerator and I can just eat them up and you can have a meal. And in the beginning, it would be, I've got to go do this sushi. I have it in my mind. I must go and do what I wanted to do. So to me, I guess that's food calling to me. Today, I say, yeah, that's fine. I try to say yes to everything related to food that involves me not overeating and not getting my way. I think it's important for us to not get our way. 
we have to learn how to not be willful. And that's the most important part of what's changed in my food and my abstinence. Does that answer that, Bob? Wherever you went. Oh, perfect. Yes, thank you. And Frank and then Holly. Thank you, Steve, for uh, a wonderful share and your service. Um, okay, coming on 18 years, fantastic. I just uh, completed a year recently um, working on character defects. Uh, talk about what early character defects you may have had, and if some of them are completely gone right now, or some say just the, the volume is lower. And what are the big ones that you still may need to work on? Uh, I, I would say I always need to work on insecurity, rage, anger, uh, becoming more humble. You know, when I first did my fourth step and I wrote them down, I wrote about 180 character flaws down for my sponsor. And I told you I picked him because of his gentleness. And what he said to me is, could you put those in categories? And I put them in probably, I don't know, 12, 14 categories. And then we went through them. And I would say maybe some are actually gone. Some are actually gone. Uh, I think my ability to uh, not be as willful, yeah, it's turned down. It's turned down. And, you know, even the ones that I think are gone might be on volume three instead of 100. Uh, I would say that many of them are innate. So you may go through life and you misspeak and you may say something wrong and you say, whoa, that came from my past. My unconscious is making uh, writing checks that my psyche can't cash. And then the important thing to do is your 10th step. You make amends immediately as fast as you can, and you hope to, that your amends are, are accepted and you move on from there. But I would say there might be a couple that are actually gone that were in that original 170. But I would say the majority, vast majority, 165 of them, the volume is turned way down, and you have to be alert and you have to be surrendered and you have to know that you're living in God's world you know, if you want to make him laugh, tell him your plans. As I like to say, that's one of my favorites. Besides, you know, we all love fine, and I'm not going to say what fine is, but you all know what it is. Holly? Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks so much, Steve, for your share. It was really excellent. So my question has to do with um, – your reading list, you uh, referenced uh, Desmond Tutu, and I just wonder, you know, as far as your spiritual journey has gone for you, are there any, you know, readings that you could recommend that have really helped you? Okay. You know, the the issue here is I once did a share at a meeting many years ago, and I used to talk more about my readings, and someone at the meeting, I got yelled at, because he said, you can only talk about OA literature. You cannot discuss uh -huh. your other literature. And I, I agree with you that it's okay. I mean, I'm specifically asked that question, so I'm going to talk about it. And I appreciate that question. For me, The New Man. Have you ever heard of The New Man? It's a nope. very spiritual book. It's about Jesus Christ. And it talks about higher power. And I, I remember reading that 
and appreciating that. Um, I, I think it's important to read. Also, no matter what you read, you're going to get something. It's like watching TV, watching movies is one thing, but reading, no matter what you read, whether it's just literature, whether it's just mystery novels, no matter what it is, it wakes your brain up. The, the written word will keep you from getting dementia more than anything else just by reading. The New Man was very important. The other book that I read was at that time I talked about it, which I haven't mentioned probably since that meeting, is Purpose Driven Life. Okay, so those are the two main spiritual books that I read uh, that I found. I found Purpose Driven Life to be extremely helpful for my contact to higher power. Those are the only two that I'll, I'll talk about here, but almost anything you read has spiritual sides to it. You know, the authors can't help themselves. Does that help? Thanks so much. I appreciate sort of supplemental reading. Yeah, well, be careful because if you're sharing, wait till you get the question. Um, uh, Pamela, who who had their hand up? Sue has their hand up. Did no, not Pamela. I saw another hand besides Sue. Sue in I Colorado. Only... Sue in Colorado. Okay, Sue, your turn. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm, I'm Sue. I'm a bulimic um, and sugar addict. Um, thank you very much for your story. It was, uh, and I apologize for entering the meeting late. I was having computer problems. Um, my question is, um, what advice do you have about um, dealing with eating habits, such as, for example, standing up while eating, eating while distracted, um, not sitting down at a table, having to eat while you're eating, while you're at work, that sort of thing. Basically, kind of where you eat and when you eat and how you eat, not just what you eat. Uh, did you have any issues with that, and what did you do about it? Thanks. You know, uh, thank you so much for that question. <laughs> I had a, well, when you asked me, there were two things in my mind. One is I do want to mention that when I was young, I had a severe problem with anorexia that I didn't recognize uh, the entire time of my teenage years. Often I would have one or two meals a week. Um, I wasn't very good at eating and I was very thin. Um, and uh, that problem seemed to go away in my adult years. Um, I did try bulimia for a brief, a brief moment, but it just wasn't my, wasn't something I could get into. And that was when I first started gaining some weight in my uh, youth. Um, however, the answer to your question, I can relate best by talking about my other, another addiction I had a long time ago was nicotine. And uh, so this is where I can relate to your question. And I'm only answering your question, but this is what worked for me. I, I designated a spot, my smoking spot. And I could, you know, I, when I went to my smoking spot, I could smoke as much as I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. And I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't uh, read a book. I couldn't talk to a friend. I couldn't use the telephone. So often when you have behavioral type addictions where you feel, well, you have to stand when you eat. You have to do this. You have to do that. If you pick maybe a spot in your home where you eat your abstinent meals and you have to be sitting, 
and that's your spot. You can eat when you want to, when you get into that place, and not anywhere else. Sometimes that's hard because you go to work, so you might have an exception to that. However, behaviorally, what works is to designate a particular spot and a particular way of being. Like, I can't be on TV, I can't be on the radio, I can't do anything else, I just have to sit here and eat my meal. And that starts to take away energy from food. And as you did, it's a form of neutrality. Instead of punishing yourself, which never works, you know, negative reinforcement only gets you in trouble. What you have to do is apply neutrality as much as you can. So that's a form of neutrality to eating that you can do um, that might help you with some of these obsessive compulsive type behaviors you may have with food and how you eat. Does that help? Sue? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Okay. I see Vincent's hands up. Yes, thanks. Thank you so much, Steve, for your share and for all your thoughtful answers. It's, it's really, really great. I have a question. Um, have you actually found yourself uh, throughout the years um, in a process where you were actually overanalyzing or overthinking things? And have you actually then turned them into action? And what would you actually say about, you know, the thinking process and the doing process and how you have actually dealt with that? As long as you're out of the inside of your head, you're doing well. Like, I've been watching you, Vincent, and you have a wonderful smile. During this session, you have been very engaged and out of the inside of your head. So for you... When you smile and when you're happy, that's when you're not overthinking something. That's when you're not obsessing and compulsing. And, again, it's just a matter of if I'm doing service, if I'm trying to help someone else, if I'm trying to interact, if I stay out of the inside of my head, or if I'm coming to believe and I'm surrendering and getting in touch with my higher power, those are the methodologies I use to stay out of the inside of my head. And you have a wonderful capacity for uh, uh, compassion and relationship, and you should use that. Thank you. I think 